Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with Kevin Andrew Murphy, a horror, science fiction, and fantasy author. Welcome, Kevin. How are you doing today? Oh, pretty good. It's a nice day. Yeah, it's, it's pretty nice here, too. Actually, it's a beautiful day outside. Um, although I, in my infinite wisdom, I scheduled like three three Zoom calls, so... <laughs> Which is fine. Which is fine. Oh, well. um, I, I I I enjoy doing this. It's just every 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 once in a while I kind of look uh, wistfully outside. So for those who are unfamiliar with you with your work and and your background, could you just tell us a little bit about you know where you're from um, and you know uh, just your kind of a brief bio or background about who you are and and, and how you got into the writing business. Okay, well, I'm from uh, San Jose originally, pretty much born and raised in Silicon Valley, uh, other than, you know, a little bit of, you know, co did college at UC Santa Cruz and grad school down at USC in LA. Um, but other than that, lived my entire life in California, uh, in Silicon Valley and down in Almaden, until moving to Reno two years ago, and just at the start of the pandemic and i've now got my you know lair set up here with all of my books and <clears throat> still unpacking but you know not much has, has happened with the pandemic other than doing a lot of writing and a lot of unpacking on on my end i'm sort of just getting to finally go out and explore a little bit of reno um but, uh, you also don't have any more state income taxes so that's that's well, yeah, that, there, there is that too. I, and actually, I, I lived for uh, in Truckee for a while for half the years. So my mom had a ski cabin there, and so I, I'm used to the snow country. And I go skiing, and I'm probably going to go skiing a couple of days from now. Season passes are very useful that way. Is there um, still a lot of snow? Is there still snow on the ground up there? Oh yeah, there, there's tons. I can look out my back window, and I can see snow on the hills. There, we got snow about a couple of weeks ago, and. And so it's even still here around in, San, in Reno. All right. Anyway, go, go, going back, back to you, back to you. Instead of, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm jealous. I'm jealous of the snow. I grew up on the East coast. So I, you know, I, 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 I miss all the fun stuff of snow and I conveniently forget all the painful things. Of the snow, like yeah. Snow, yeah. Snow, Last year we had a weird record snowfall. And since I live in a little private Canyon here, with a road about two blocks long, I had to pay five hundred dollars to plow plow myself out because the snow was so high. You know, you basically just went sledding down the hill in your car if you went out the door. If you could actually, and people couldn't get up, so it was a case where I was seriously snowed in. But that was also a weird ten-year storm that you don't usually get in Reno. But we're having weird weather lately. But anyway, uh, back to career. So. Uh, Writing-wise, what people have seen of me is I got my, I think my very first professional publication was in Dragon Magazine, writing an article on wishes for D&D. They gave mm -hmm. me a nice center spread, and then that was the same time as in grad school. And I got a gig to write for um, Wild Cards for their gaming end, and I did uh, Aces Abroad. Uh, which was an adaptation of the Aces Abroad anthology. I'll get, get back back to you later um, as an adventure. And then George R. R. Martin had read it for approval and then ended up deciding that he liked my characters, wanted to play with them, and so uh, jumped me into the gang. And it was a couple years, well, 
it was a couple of years later that I finally got to write for them. I was 26, but my characters, Hearn and Cameo, got uh, pulled into the universe before then, and John Joseph Miller and uh, Steve Lay and some of the other people, and of course also George, uh, were writing them for Dealer's Choice. And actually, that got reissued a couple of years ago with Hearn right there on the cover again, so I've got like great cover artwork. I um, need to get a copy of that and put that up on my, on my walls. But anyway, um, so I did the GURPS, the GURPS game book, which then led me into getting for wild cards. And then I also had been writing gaming stuff for uh, Stuart Wick at White Wolf when it was a magazine, but then it became a publisher and they did Vampire the Masquerade. And I approached him saying, you know, would would you like someone to put an anthology together for you? And he said, well, we're already doing that. Would you like to write a story for it? So I wrote a story for that and then uh, wrote stories for uh, Mage and created my character Penny Dreadful, who became incredibly popular. And I even got to write a novel for her after several short stories. And so that came out like you know, 25 years ago and they just reissued her a couple of years ago for the Mage 20th anniversary um, Kickstarter and had me as a half a million dollar stretch goal to have my, re my novel reissued, which was very nice. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah, it says, I would like to have some of that money, but that's the trouble with the licensing bit. bit. Huh. But uh, Wild Cards is, has been much nicer to me for licensing money because, of course, George has wrangled the contracts very well where, you know, everybody owns things together. And so we've gotten money from Disney and um, <clears throat> Univer Universal Cable Pictures and various other things. Actually, Wild Cards is in development right now uh, for the Peacock channel. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, so, that, uh, so, you know, crossing my fingers on that, and I've got a graphic novel for Wild Cards called Anti Up that'll be coming out from uh, Random House. Um, whichever label they put on on their graphic novels, but it's basically dealing with Random House, who's George's publisher, George's publisher for all the Game of Thrones stuff. So, uh, so, so, so for the uninitiated, Wild Cards is a uh, shared universe created mm -hmm. by uh, it's created by George R. R. Martin, though, right? Yeah, uh, created, and, created by George R. R. Martin and Melinda Snodgrass together. And uh, basically, I'll I'll go ahead and give the origin there. It's like you know, yeah, it's like everybody yeah. is a gamer. Um, it was uh, George and Melinda and John Joseph Miller and Vic Milan and I think Gail Gerstner Miller. Basically, they were the original. Oh, and Walter John Williams were the original crew of gamers in Albuquerque and Santa Fe who were uh, running Super World, which was created by Steve Perrin, who's another friend of mine who unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago, um, who also got put into Wild Cards and just had his first story come out for wild cards in joker moon uh, last year um good that he actually got to finally have a story in the anthology week so sad that he died uh but uh, long story short is that it was a world with superheroes but uh george and melinda actually it was melinda came up with the brilliant idea of a sort of a unified theory of how we have all of these people with all of these different powers and it's basically the wild card virus which is this virus that was created by these aliens called the Tekesians and it's, can, it's made to amplify psychic powers but of course it really deals with the subconscious and weird things in people's biology so 
unfortunately, it's not a very well-made virus uh, because nine times out of ten, it will kill you. Anything from dropping dead to turning into a 30-foot-tall, three-headed green pig and collapsing of your own mass, in which case you're still dead, but, you know, there's there's a whole gamut. Usually we don't have the incredibly strange you know, mutations, but it's a possibility. And then there's, you know, and the 1% chance that you survive it, well, nine times out of 10, you get um, deformed in some ways, like you're turned into a pig, you have three heads, you are green, whatever or all three at the same time, or something else strange. Um, and that's bad, and people like that are called jokers. And then the 1% who get a useful superpower are called aces. And then there's a few other things where if you've got a superpower, but it's really stupid, like, you know, I can shoot laser beams out of my eyes. They're not very powerful laser beams. I can amuse my cat and maybe use it for, you know, PowerPoint. Um, but it's just like having a couple of little keychain lasers stuck in my eyes. That's, you know, it's like, oh, I'm really scared. That's not going to, you know, going to do anything other than, you know, amuse your cat. So that that's called a deuce because, like, well, it's an ace, but no, it's really kind of stupid. And then there are also... Um, we've we're, we've put in the uh, recently. I I got to write the uh, opening story of, of Knaves Over Queens, which is our first British volume, and I introduced the uh, concept of knaves, which actually goes back to the beginning of Wild Cards in our, in their British line, where a knave is somebody who is a joker but with superpowers, like my character Hearn. He's like eight foot tall and has antlers and stag legs, but he can also blow a horn and summon the wild hunt. And he's super strong and can throw a spear through battleship plates. So it's like, you know, okay, he's weird and he's mutated, but he also looks like a romance cover novel for his human <laughs> parts. And he's, you know, ridiculously strong. So it's like, He's not a joker, he's not an ace, he's a knave. And we've also now started putting that into the American um, bit where people have, for a while, we're calling them joker aces, but that was kind of clumsy. So uh, the Americans are now finally calling them jacks. If you've got somebody who's, you know, a joker ace, just joker ace, now it's a jack. Um, and so there's... there's that going on. And then I've got lots of characters. There's Hearn and Cameo, who I've, I've written a cameo story before, and then I've bounced around. I've had uh, Slim Jim, who can get really thin. I had him in, um, <clears throat> uh, let's see, it was Low Ball. I didn't, I don't, it, yeah, it was one of the, um, the new, actually, maybe not Low Ball, that was the sequel. Uh, he was in Fort Freak, which is the part of our uh, Fort Freak precinct, um, which is basically Fort Freak is the police precinct where all of the Joker's mazes are are in Manhattan. Because we, we we did do the comic bit to explain why everything was in the virus got dumped on Midtown Manhattan in 1946-47 and then went around the world from there. But that's why there's such a concentration of aces and Jokers in uh, New York. And 
But then again, why, why, if the virus is, was first broke out in, in Midtown Manhattan, why would more people survive in Midtown uh, Manhattan? Well, no, most people didn't survive. A huge number of people were killed. But the thing is that you get the first the virus can infect you, and then it sort of went into the jet stream. But also, we've set it up where is that if you um, have survived the virus and you're infected with it, you can pass it on to your children, and it's a recessive. And so, if you you you're an ace, and you know your wife's a joker, and you have kid, have a kid, the kid will be a latent, and but will have the, the wild card virus, but it can express anywhere from conception to birth to, it usually goes anytime there's like some stress going on in somebody's life. So, you know, it's like, it's my fifth birthday party. Yay, I got a pony and now I'm dead. Um, you know, so, it, <laughs> it, you know, so. It's an interesting choice. <laughs> but, but you you see, like, actually for, for the, uh, the, the birthday party, I'll go ahead and, and mention one of my characters, um, my character Rosa Lotteria, who I've got uh, the graphic novel, Auntie Up, is, is starring her. Uh, she's got a pack of Lotteria cards, which her grandmother gave her at her quinceanera. So, you know, her 15th birthday, and she got the heirloom pack of Mexican lottery cards, which she shuffled and she suddenly pulled out, you know, El Nopal, the cactus, and turned into Cactus Girl. <laughs> and that was like, oh, God, you've got a joker. But then it turned out she figured out she could shuffle the deck and pull a new card. It's like, now I've turned into El Bota, the boot, and suddenly became like Nancy Sinatra <sighs> with the seven-league boots and, like, walked, you know, three steps and ended up in Van Nuys. She's, she's from Los Angeles. I'm like, okay, well, that's cool. Um, So she's she's got a really neat she's got a neat power where she can basically pull random aces and jokers and jacks um out of her deck um and you know turn turn into them or get a superpower but she, it's a, a lot like dial h for hero she never knows which superpower she's going to get and sometimes it's like being cactus girl where it's kind of useless <laughs> Yeah, it's certainly a useless. Well, unless you like chase somebody and give them a big hug. Yeah, it's like okay, well, I've got pricky thorns and you know cactus blossoms for hair, but you know it's like okay, I can throw, um, I can throw a prickly pear at you. That's still not really you know compared to somebody who can fly and shoot actual laser beams out of their their eyes. This is really not anything to be afraid of. Now, who would you say your writing influences are? Okay, my writing influences. Well, uh, I let's see. I guess well, I've, I've had a couple of writing mentors. So George Armand's one. Uh, Catherine Carr is another uh, who writes the Devery book. She's one of my old oldest and best friends. Um. So, but that's also a case of you know older writers who've taken me under their wing and you know taught me a lot. But then. For writers who I've admired um, and tried to emulate, I mean, like everybody, I grew up reading Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and lots of other things. I, but I would say probably my biggest influence as a writer is Joan Aiken. And uh, Joan Aiken, a wonderful British uh, children's author, but also wrote adult books 
writing very much in Jane Austen style. So roundabout, actually, I've had people reading myself. It's like, you write an awful lot like Jane Austen, but since she's the greatest stylist in the English language, this is not a bad thing. So, <laughs> you know, and J- Joan Aiken was a big, big time uh, J- Jane Austen scholar. And so I p- certainly picked up a lot of the stylistic quirks from that, but I'm not going to complain about it. Is that people seem to like them and to enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. But is that is that your only influence you would say, or are there others? Um, let's see. Uh John Belair's uh who wrote The House with the Clock in Its Walls, which was yet recently movie. Uh there is a he, his love of little weird antiquarian things and mystery and horror. And the thing is that I I write horror, but really what I write is is very dark, quirky fantasy. Um, which is something I will say that that Belair is, is a, a big influence, and I'm trying to think of other ones. Um, I really um, I love Meredith Ann Pierce's writing. Um, Trisha McKillop uh, adored the Forgotten Beasts of Eld and the Masters. And so th- those were awesome influences. Here's Anthony, of course, uh, for you know the some of the silly stuff, but also some, some world building. Um, and, you know, there, there are different, you know, favorite authors I've had over time, but I was like, stylistic influences, you know, Jane Austen by way of, uh, of Joan Aiken. Um, and, you know, uh, other world building, um, lots of D and D stuff, but also a lot of the antiquarian stuff from John Belaris I uh, gotten in. Now when you look at kind of current writers today, who do you enjoy reading? Well that's it, it, it's it, the awful thing about about writing is it takes down so much of your reading time. So it's the case where it's like, who is it that I really enjoy writing i was like as i said i'm friends with with kids so i you know i try to keep on up on Catherine care's latest uh novels and um a lot of the other wild cards writers i read the, read their their things i'm trying to think of other authors um I, i'm reading scott lynch right now and i'm really enjoying his his style and so I'm like, you know, in, in the middle of the Gentleman Bastards series. So I'm, I'm enjoying that, trying to think of who, who else. Um, then, of course, I, actually, I just picked up one of uh, Joan Aiken's original um, anthologies. that had a few new sh- short stories of hers that she put out before she died. So I'm sort of catching up on old favorites as well. So it's a question of, you know, who's current? Well, you know, a lot of people are still around and they're still writing. So it's, there's not a lot of the very, very newest writers that I've been reading. Um, but that's just simply because I've got a huge to-be-read pile and a lot of old favorites, you know, luckily most of whom are still publishing. Now, if someone who's unfamiliar with your work were to start somewhere, what's the first book they should pick up by you okay first book by me it it depends on what you want um uh, the 
Penny Dreadful, the uh, novel I did for White Wolf, is uh, still in print. And while not getting royalties on that, um, people have really, really liked it. And there's a lot of fun, you know, fun, quirky stuff in there. And it's, as someone had uh, commented to me, one of the other authors for White Wolf said, said, I had not thought that anyone could write a comedy set in the world of darkness, and you did it. Um, (laughs) But that's what ha- what happens when you put a, you know, a kind of perky goth girl who has read a whole bunch of fairy tales and then suddenly realizes that they're true and is now suddenly dealing with ancient witches and vampires. And there's like the ancient witch, witch Jodie Black, who, you know, is unfortunate, as Penny comment, you know, it's like finding that she's like, 700 years old and is still looking in her 20s like well someone's oil of Olay was certainly working well and uh, she later on is called offenders like who do you think you're dealing with girls like Bimbo Yaga um, because she's Betty's comment was on Jody it's like it says you know if I was a 700 year old witch and still playing a, a sex kitten uh, I, I'd have some serious issues I was working <laughs> But that's really, you know, she, that, that character was actually created by uh, Jim Moore, who's another well-known horror author. We were writing together back in the day. We got to do a braided story for the for, for Truth Until Paradox, the first Meiji anthology. But, you know, she's, you know, very scary and old-fashioned, but she's also, you know... A, a classic trope, you know, the the old hag who turns herself young and beautiful. But you have a young feminist looking at that and going like, sister, you have issues. <laughs> and so, <laughs> that's, uh, that was just a, a, a lot of fun to, fun to write and people have enjoyed it since. So I, I'll say, go ahead, Penny Dreadful, that's, you know, of course, in the world of darkness. Now, if you want some of my fiction that is outside of the world of darkness. Um, Esther Friesner did the Supernatural Suburbia trilogy, which starts with Which Way to the Mall, and I've got a uh, story in there, Tacos for Tezcatlipoca, which is um, my first of my Bryce Pierpont um, stories, and he's sort of the accidental magician. And that's actually very easy to find, because aside from Which Way to the Mall still being in print, uh, Bain featured it on their website, and in the first, you know, it's still up there because it was like one of the first three or five uh, stories in in the book, and they even used the used it for the book teaser, which was which was a nice compliment. Um, so that's something you can get. And well, of course, as, as you know, you can get me in Sean Patrick Hazlitt's um, <clears throat> Weird World War. Uh, Three and Weird World War Four. I've got two different stories in there, uh, unrelated. Um, Anastasia's Egg and oh, remind me of the title of my my one from Weird World War Four. Uh, oh, Portals of the Past, which is a uh, science fiction meets magic time travel story. And tell t- t- tell a bit more about Anastasia's Egg. I've actually gotten. Um, lots of compliments about that story from, from, from readers in places that I wouldn't have 
expected. You know, like you're very popular in the corporate world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a friend who I mean, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm overinflating it, but I have a friend who uh, it was it was his favorite story in the volume. I'm like, huh? <laughs> it was, it was, he's like very different, very different from you, but he really enjoyed it. So, oh, that's that, that's great. Yeah, Anastasia's egg um, was my uh, take on well, going back to not Bimbo Yaga, but actually Baba Yaga. So we're doing the mm-hmm. Baba Yaga stories, but actually I. My main protagonist is actually Baba Yaga's villain, Koche the Deathless, um, who has reinvented himself as a Russian spy and then is having to deal with Vasilisa the Wise slash the Beautiful, who's also known as the Frog Princess, who he had, you know, made a rather forced, arranged marriage with all those years ago before she outwitted him uh, with Prince Ivan and got help from Baba Yaga, and lots of help from Baba Yaga. So don't want to spoil too much there, but I will say that the opening scene is they get together in a cowboy and Western bar in Moscow with a mechanical bull and, you know, and, and all you can eat sliders because it's the Muscovite's version of this is what, you know, the Americans must have. It's, you know, the ridiculous rhinestone cowboy, cowboy bar <laughs> as done in Russia, which is like just the perfect place for the spies to meet up. And the whole story takes place there, but it gets progressively weirder as we're dealing with yet, uh, yet more and more Russian fairy tales and a little bit of the Arabian Nights. Well, it's, it, it, there's also a an ode, not an ode, but it, it, it's also like a, a bit of a tribute to that Rasputin song by, what is it, Boney M? Yes, yes, yes. Which I had never heard of it until I read your story. And I'm like, this is, this song is disturbingly good. <laughs> I don't know why I like it. Oh, yeah, that was a uh, spoil. Another small thing is that Coach of the Deathless, when he had reinvented himself, one of his reinventions was, you know, to come by as being, you know, Rasputin. Because when you're a tall, brooding, dark wizard with strange powers, well, makes perfect sense. Yeah, it just works. Um, all right, and then, and then there's a story in Weird World War Four, which. Felt felt like and I don't know if this was your intention, but it was it was a like a love letter to San Francisco a little bit, you know, in oh, terms yeah. of the history and things like that. But yeah, say more about that without you know without spoiling it. I, you know, I enjoyed that aspect of it. There's a lot of it's very rich with a, a lot of um, local history when it comes yeah. to that city. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that I, I'm I'm a history buff and. So I went through all of these things that I know from San Francisco history, and there's the portals of the past, which were the um, the basically the classic um, columns that were at the front of some robber baron's mansion that got burned down during the earthquake and fire, but the marble pillars remained and Arnold Ganthe was a famous photographer who took an amazing picture of like the smoking ruins of the city through these portals that were um you know still standing and it's like one of the great um images and then they did a painting of it that I think the Bohemian had club had and then the city took down the portals 
and put them over into Golden Gate Park as a monument. That's just, and those are still there. Um, but part of the story that I've got is I'm dealing with uh, some time travel, and part of the rules of the time travel is that you need a touchstone of something that exists in the present that also exists in the past to pretty much navigate around. And then we are in, we'll start out in the future and it, World War III has gone on and it was a, you know, a, a replicant uprising mixed with a robot uprising and everything really bad happened to humanity. And we suddenly have, Johnny, who's this, you know, Johnny Phoenix, who's this young kid who's like just really wants a girlfriend or a boyfriend, but he's a cyborg that his parents, you know, put together out of the spare parts bin. And then he suddenly, you know, has this love at first sight. It's like, why am I seeing this girl and recognizing her? Because he's got nowhere in his, you know, wetware memory banks or his computerized memory banks he's like why is she so familiar and so it's the weird deja vu and suddenly the mystery girl i won't won't spoil things but there's like all sorts of san francisco history and mm -hmm. oddness that gets into there and i get to have fun um pretty much dealing with it and i'll just say you know the portals of the past are you know are part of it and you know we've got we start in the far future for World War Four, or or basically World War Four for my story is a time war, um, and you know things get sidetracked and derailed. Um, on that note, what sort of uh, what recent books should writers not writers but fans check out um, that came out in the last few months that you would you know point people to in addition to Weird World War Three and Weird World War Four. In, in the last few months, um, honestly, or last year, yeah, last yeah, year, last, yeah, last year. Oh God, it's like, uh, um, honestly, I have. I'm going to say straight off, admit that I've been behind on my reading and my writing because it's been a hell of a year for me. I lost my dad uh, last summer. And I, my uncle, who's his younger brother, died just this last month. So I've been dealing with a lot of grief and a lot of, you know, getting away from things. <clears throat> and I tend to not pick up the very most current book that's on on the shelf. Is that uh, what I've been going back for? Is you know. Books like, you know, J uh, Joan Aiken had the Serial Garden that came out a few years ago that has like four of her. Um, last oh, no, I'm not, I, I'm not talking about books that you're reading. I'm talking about your books, things that oh, things okay. that or, 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 or anthologies that have your short stories in them that people should check out that came out recently. Ah, OK. Yeah. Well, then, um, well. One of the things I've been writing for, there's a Kickstarter for S5E, which is a uh, superhero game, and they have me uh, writing their fiction, uh, some of which is already out and some of which I'm, I'm still writing. Um, but there's a uh, bunch of short stories there called the, the Union of Six, which is having a team of six superheroes and, um, 
and then there's also uh, there's the Union of Seven, which is a different <coughs> different one, and I'm that I'm right now in the beginning in in the writing stages and getting everything with, with my editors there, but mm -hmm. I'm really rather proud of it, and actually that is out also an audio audiobooks from um. Uh, it'll come to me in a second. The um, oh, Sound Booth Theater. That, that's that's who's doing the dramatizations. And actually, on the uh, Weird War, um, and a few years ago, I did for a different uh, editor uh, <coughs> had the uh, a Weird War um, anthology. And I got to do a Weird War One story um, that it, it de deals with the photographing fairies, um, but it's called No Man's Land, and it, that <clears throat> that came out in Weird Wars anthology from uh, Wendigo, Wendigo Tales, um, which is run by uh, Savage Worlds, and uh, that. However, Sound Booth Theater just did an audiobook of that, and they also did one for um, Necessary Evil, which is a superhero uh, gaming world with uh, with the villains who actually had to step up. And so I've got uh, the Tablets of Destiny that was, came out in that, but that just came out from Sound Booth Theater last year as well. And uh -huh. they did a really, really nice uh, full dramatization, you know, with sound effects, and music, and, you know, multiple actors doing that. So I'm very pleased with how both of those came out, audiobooks. Any, um, what was the latest wildcard book that you came out with? Okay, uh, latest wildcards uh, that I'm in is the uh, the opening stories of... <clears throat> Knaves over Queens, which is um, a flint lies in the mud, and but a flint holds fire, and that you'll find um, it's it's my Captain Flint story, and that's actually a character who I created way back for the um, Aces Abroad game book, and he got brought in as an official character, and then I finally got to write his origin story um, on the Queen Mary because it was one of the Cool things that had been set up in the very first wild cards book is that mentioned is that the Queen Mary was in the mid Atlantic when the wild card spores came by and caused the Queen Mary disaster, um, where you know everybody got infected aboard the Queen Mar Mary and it like barely limped into port. And I pointed out to George is that well, Queen Mary, we have <laughs> never had the Queen Mary anywhere. Uh, mentioned in any of the New York stories, which is kind of odd if it, if the Queen Mary is there and, you know, it probably would not have ended up in Long Beach as a hotel and restaurant like it is in our reality. So I said, well, we're going to finally get to, you know, show London as more than a glimpse. So can I do the Queen Mary story and have it turn around in mid Atlantic to try to, get away from the spore cloud, which doesn't work, but this is why they end up, you know, docking it <clears throat> near the Canary Wharf, um, you know, the Isle of Dogs on, on, on the River Thames. And so we've got it, you know, permanently put there. And I got to do the story 
of that. And then other authors have been using it since then. Is you know, it has sort of become a hotel and nightclub after the disaster because, of course, this is where the London outbreak came from. But it gave us a Joker Town uh, origin point for uh, for London. Now, what sort of, um, you know, what are you working on now? What are some of your work in progress projects? Okay, well, um, the work is already done for me, but it's with with our our, um, our artist, John Sanchez, um, is Anti Up, which is my Rosalagia graphic novel. And actually, that's it. Mm-hmm. A collaboration with John Joseph Miller is it a few years ago when my mom had passed away. Um, I hadn't been able to finish up uh, the revisions in quite the right time. It wasn't the right frame of mind because part of the story is Rosa dealing with grief from the death of her grandmother. And it's like, okay, that's way too close to home. So uh, John Joseph Miller <clears throat> took it, took over the story and addressed the, you know, the, the changes need to be made and introduce some of his own characters for the third act troubles that I was having. Anyway, um, there's a great script and it's actually, I think going to be John's last publication, but right now, John Sanchez, our artist is finishing up the inking for that. So whenever, you know, everything has been derailed by uh, the pandemic. So it, it was supposed to be out a couple of years ago, but you know, life, uh, life takes weird twists and turns, but, but uh-huh. it's right now, you know, get finishing up into the pipeline and we'll hopefully be coming out and you know, cross my fingers for uh, having Wildcards TV show uh, come out from Peacock at some time. So a nice cross pollination. Um, and then there's some other Wildcards books which I'm going to um, mumble about. But there are more Wildcards books in the, in the pipeline, and I have one story in and accepted and that's that's good and there's another story i've got for a different book which i just got revision notes from george yesterday and for anybody who's wondering this was like george working on westeros george said it's like you know you've got got some months i need to go back to westeros now and you know work on that so yes george is working on, on westeros but um it this is something we've been working on the these books for like over the pandemic, um, I turned in my revisions for the first story uh, like two years ago in December. So th- this is a case of, you know, we've, we've been working on these stories for quite quite a bit of time. Um, but there's going to be, there are more wild cards anthologies yeah. um, and then other projects that I'm working on, writing uh, the rest of the uh, the sigil stories and actually just met with a different editor um, yesterday, uh, Danny O'Neill at Hammerdog Games, who I wrote um, the language of the birds for his grand temple of Jing and the grandmother's tale for his dread house, a haunted house adventure. But basically that was the, the tie-in fiction for role-playing game worlds. And so there's a new project that he's working on, actually he's been working on for years, which is uh, his world of Noah. And so we basically sketched out some plans for both poetry and fiction. Um, but that's sort of the, on the hor- horizon after my my current deadlines, I'm going to be launching into that project. 
Any advice for uh, budding authors or you know new new writers? Um, the best advice that I would give for writers is that first off, you need button chair time um, for writing, and uh, the second is that a certain there's a certain amount of stuff is there, don't take bad contracts. Um, if you can avoid it, but sometimes you can even give away, away things for free because your future contact tracks and editors don't know how much you were paid for the previous ones necessarily, but they work really well for your resume. Um, I was showing Danny yesterday. was like, okay, um, I think what you need here is a crown of sonnets. Here's what a crown of sonnets. So I showed a crown of sonnets that I did for uh, Paizo for their World of Glory, and actually, that for uh, fiction that people want to get, um, <clears throat> there are several stories um, on the Paizo website. There's the Secret of the Rose and Glove, which is my first Nora Gontier story, and there's uh, Thieves in Vinegar, which is the third one, and then the second one. Um, between oh shoot more popular one too um the title comes to it is the uh, anyway it, basically you, you look up for the norit gontier stories and you'll find find them on the paisa website but anyway also i did the uh the 15 loves of galarian which was a crown of sonnets which would say complicated thing is where you write one master sonnet and then you break it apart to become the beginning and end lines of 14 more sonnets. And these were all of the uh, different iconic characters from uh, the Pathfinder world of Glorian. And so it was, it was fun writing those and they did it for the Valentine's day special. But anyway, so I was having to show Danny was like, explain what is the crown of sonnets and how do I write them here? Take a, take a look at, you know, one of your, competitors sites that will hopefully be writing some crowns of sonnets uh for the world of Genoa because it's a very useful and easy way um to summarize um you know a long complex subject or a character uh down to 14 lines which is sort of the beauty of writing a sonnet and crowns of sonnets are just sort of a fun amazing thing to to do the first one first one I know who actually uh, did one in the modern age my friend Sean McGuire uh, who wrote one as a fan thing for uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and was like, with, with a friend of hers and I'm like oh this is really really good so she did a crown of sonnets called The Gift which is probably floating around the internet somewhere but <clears throat> back to the advice to, to writers is that a lot of times you you know just for the fun of it do a show piece um, and then you can show future editors that you know like here this is what i what i did um and <clears throat> you also don't know where you know who's going to be reading your stuff but a lot of times it's going to be editors and they will see something um actually one of my interesting credits was uh i did a uh a sestina which is a poem but i wrote it in old norse flowing meter and it's called Advent Windows. And um, I had Joseph Bottom, who was the editor of First Things, the Catholic Quarterly at the time, like, and buy it for a Christmas piece. And 
put that there. So I ended up having my poem on the opposite page of Justice Scalia, which was an interesting extra credit to get. Um, but the, the, the whole thing that I would say is that what young writers do is the worst thing that anyone can do is say no. And so uh -huh. just go around and keep rattling every doorknob and you will sometimes find that they will all miraculously open at once. And also sometimes your samples will be picked up in strange ways. Um, like there was one story that I did uh, with Tom Roach uh, called Head Turner, and that was for the Splatterpunks 2 anthology. But originally, um, we wrote it both to see if we could, if we wanted to write a story together, but we, there was a, um, a horror magazine that said that nothing is too extreme for us, but we decided that we wanted, we realized that the magazine was really no amount of blood covered bimbos with chainsaws was too much for, for them. But so it's like, what would scandalize every, you know, conservative horror fan you know, but have it be integral to the story. So we came up with the idea of a Philippines vampire who the type of the pop-top heads that fly on and off, but wanted to be the opposite gender. So went to a San Francisco drag bar and picked up an unhappy wannabe transsexual, well, which is probably the wrong way to say it, but wrote this in the 80s. But it was a case of like somebody who couldn't afford surgery and jumped them into the Philippine vampire pop-top head gang. Which, and this is where the whole story of Head Turner came around, which then the editor of Aberrations magazine. So we managed to get, we got a rejection from the, uh, the magazine that I should say would be nameless. Um, but to say that they didn't work for him rather than it grossed them out. But then Aberrations had said, it's like, the story is beautiful and disquieting and disgusting all at the same time. We must have it. <laughs> we don't know where else you'd place it. But then Aberrations had some publication stuff. And then I uh, had Paul Salmon, who I sold a story <coughs> to for um, for his King is Dead Tales of El Elvis Postmortem. That, you, you know, he asked if I had anything for Splatterpunks too. And I said, well, here, why don't you take a look at this? And if you like it, you can have it. And Paul had grown up. He, he'd been a military brat and been in the Philippines part of the time. And it's like, oh, I know about these. <laughs> and so we, we had that. But then roundabout of like where you find the extra credits coming from. After that came out, I was at San Diego Comic-Con. I had dropped that off at Verotica, um, which was Glenn Danzig's, you know, Shocking horror and sex. Like, 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 like Glenn Danzig, the the rock star mother, you know that that guy. Yes, yeah, the, yeah. yeah, you know, Glenn Danzig of the Misfits, who then decided to, um, you know, put money into horror horror erotica comic books, and so I dropped it. I was like, "Do you have anything horror, horror erotica?" Why? Yes, yes, I do, and so handed that over, and then it turned out that. The editor I handed to came and went. The next editor came and went. And then the third editor, she came in, went through the files, and read the story and was like, Glenn, why have we not bought this? I want this for the cover <laughs> art story for 
uh, for number 12. And then Glenn said, okay. And they got Brian Pernaranda, <laughs> uh, who's, you know, Filipino artist who knew it's like, I get to draw one of these for the cover. Yay. And so that, that worked out, um, you know, wonderfully. And, you know, got, got a nice, my first comic book credit and everything. And that also, um, Work went around to getting the graphic novels and wild cards. Like, have you done any comics writing? Why, yes. Here, you know, here's the script that we did for my own short story uh, with Tom Roche, and so we've had that credit. Now I've got a graphic novel coming out. So that's that's and then roundabout um, with the stories of the connections you're making. Was it World Fantasy years and years ago? Um, but I had talked made a phone call to Sage Walker, who was like the newest person uh, in wild cards after me. And this was, this was in like the very early nineties. And that's the story of how I got into Paul Salmon's anthology because she, she said, Oh, are you working on anything right now? And I said, well, I'm really wanting to uh, write an Elvis is stolen by the elves story. And she said, Oh, is that for Paul Salmon's anthology? And I went, no. You said no. The answer is yes. Tell me more. <laughs> well, yes, like, you're like, what is this anthology? Well, you're not supposed to know about it because it's an invitation only anthology. But I wrote a um Elvis and weird, creepy old fangirls story. Um, I'm sort of paraphrasing what saves it. But anyway, is that she'd written that and sent it to um <clears throat> another major editor for major magazine i will sort of mumble about the about who it is but uh very, very well known and she ended up saying is like no i can't use this for my magazine but you should send it to paul um and it, so sage goes oh what's paul doing so i found out about that and then i got paul's number from sage and then i ended up calling Paul from the payphone at World Fantasy saying, well, I got your number for Sage Walker. Could I send you this? And he was like going, what, what, how did you find out? And I finally just talked well enough as like, you know, the worst you can do is say no. I said, well, uh -huh. do you have any Elvis is stolen by the elves stories? And I'm like, no, I don't. Okay. I'm not sure, but he liked it. He bought it. It was well received. And it also, meant that I was in an anthology uh, with both Harlan Ellison and Joyce Carol Oates, which was a really nice wow. credit to have at 26. Yeah, that's great. All right. Uh, on, on that note, I think that's some great advice for uh, budding writers. Mm -hmm. And thank you for appearing on this show, uh, Kevin. I, 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 as always, I, you know, I've known you for a while, so I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so have a great day, my friend. 